Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. And on today's show, I'm chatting with film director Jenny Gold. She talks about attending the University of Central Florida's film program, as well as her inspiring documentary, Cinemability, The Art of Inclusion, which delves into the way that um, the media has portrayed disabled people in society, as well as the stereotypes of disabled characters in film. Really inspiring stuff. Great documentary. I highly recommend that you check it out if you get the chance. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jenny Gold. Sitting here with my very special guest this week, Miss Jenny Gold. How are you tonight? Fantastic. Thanks for uh, having me. No, absolutely. Thank you for uh, for taking the time to to do the interview. You know, I got to watch your uh, your film Cinemability, which we'll we'll get to uh, here in just a bit. But I wanted to uh, start off by asking you a little bit about uh, like where are you originally from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Miami. I'm a Florida girl, although I was born in Ohio in Toledo. But uh, most of my life lived in uh, Florida. I grew up in Miami. Went to the University of Central Florida. Um, but I went there for film school. It's also known because the Blair Witch guys who were in my class uh, went there also. So they got the film school kind of on the map. Yeah, it's widely regarded as you know one of the best film schools in in the entire country. I've never I've haven't heard anything but uh, good things about it. I've actually had. Uh, a few UCF alumni uh, here recently on my show, so it's 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 been cool getting you know the different perspectives on on that program. What what was your time like uh, when you were at UCF? I loved it. I would have gone there more if I could, if I could have figured out a way not to graduate. But no, I ended up with two degrees: uh, BA in film, a motion picture technology, and one in television. Um, and uh, it was a great experience. I really enjoyed it and am friends with a lot of the folks from film school to this day. And uh, it, it was it was a lot of fun. What was it that made you want to become a filmmaker? You know, I've always loved, you know, Hollywood and old movies and, you know, the experience. But I got, you know, because of doing the Jerry Lewis Muscle Industry Telephone, because I have MD and I was one of Jerry's kids back then. Um, I was in front of the camera a lot and got to see, you know, things behind the scenes and got really interested. Also interested in still photography and that led to me doing my own little movies and stuff like that. So, um, I kind of, I guess it was just in my blood. And actually my mom said she named me after Jennifer Jones. So maybe it really was sort of a, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy to be in the business. Although I, I like being behind the camera better. It was kind of instilled in you at birth, it sounds like. I guess. <laughs> uh, when I was reading your bio, there was something that, that kind of caught my eye. One of my greatest joys is sitting in the back of the theater during my screenings and listening to the audience as they react. I, I think that's a great quality to do. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm, I'm on my way right now to hear traffic because I'm in bumper to bumper on the 101 going to a screening that we're having a similability at a film school on the L.A. Center Studios campus um, right now, and I will do it again, even though I've probably seen it a gajillion times by now. But, um, you know, I think I got in the business also because of seeing the kind of power that the films 
movies have on an audience. I remember when I was young, uh, watching Rocky II when it came out in the theater, and it was like crowded standing room only in Miami, and the audience would jump up and down and and cheer. And I was like, I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be able to have that, you know, um, ability to make people feel something. Well, and especially after spending so much time, you know, attached to a project, whether it's directing it, editing it, or really in in any way, shape, or form, it's kind of rewarding in a way to see how much your work affects other people. Yeah, and I got to say that you know I've, I'm primarily a narrative filmmaker, but this documentary cinemability that I did is different in that the reaction I get from people is is extreme. Where you know, I mean, people will enjoy or will laugh or whatever on other films, but on this one, they don't want to leave after the screenings. They want to talk. They want to, you know, it, it just opens up their minds into some areas that they hadn't thought about before. So they're really engaged, which is a different, you know, even uh, a deeper level than I've had before in regular entertainment films. Well, let's let's talk about cinemability. What was it that kind of gave you the idea to to do this, you know, documentary film. Well, it's funny, like I said, I you know, I was out here and I um you know, because I'm a director who uses a wheelchair, there's not a lot of women directors working anyhow. And so the LA Times uh did an article about uh, me as a director and uh, some friends of mine who were producers saw it and they said hey we want to come over and pitch you an idea so i'm like sure so i knew them really well they came over to my house and they sat down they said we want to do a documentary about you and i was like uh no a i don't like being in front of the camera b i'm not you know there's nothing to talk about i said if you want to do something about film or about film and disability here's an idea why not tell a story that's not been told before and right then i thought up the idea and realized I knew everybody, and I told them it'd be really easy. I could, you know, help them. And they they thought about it, and they said, well, we think it's going to be a lot of work. Turns out they were right, 10 years' worth of work. Um, but I told them, well, if you're not going to do it, I might. And I kind of just sat on it for a while. And and then I spoke to a friend of mine who uh, was in the movie, Danny Murphy, and he's friends with the Fairley Brothers. And before I knew it, they were on board, and once they were on board, they were like, when's it airing, and how's it going, and so it, it sort of started a snowball effect that one person goes to another person, and then I couldn't stop, because uh, it became a who's who in Hollywood, because who don't you, you want to say no to, you know, uh, Ben Affleck, oh, I think he can be in the film, you know, so you just keep on uh, going, and, and as documentaries tend to do, they take on a life of their own and go in their own direction. And we just kind of kept following the lead and, and making it a richer and richer story. And we did bite off a lot. I mean, we covered from the first silent movie to today. That's a lot of film and TV. So, Well, that was going to be my, my next comment, is that it, it, it had to have been a challenge to find that much content that spanned from, you know, the early days of silent film to I think the most recent thing that was in it was from 2016, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have stuff from the TV show Speechless, obviously Breaking Bad before that, and I think some of them atypical. 
So, yeah, it's sort of up to 2017-18. Kind of going through the process of actually going through, especially the older stuff, did you have specific things you were looking for? And then as you kept digging, you just kept finding more and more content? Exactly. Yeah, we didn't know sometimes, and we would stumble upon something that was real eye-opening that had to be included. You know, we, we made a certain set of rules. Like, I didn't – the number one rule is we weren't going to cover anything that was a documentary. We were talking about fiction, you know, so it had to be a narrative film or TV show. And we weren't going to talk about anything that was a short because, you know, it had to be something that would – be seen by the masses. We did one exception of one short film that was just so incredible I had to include it. Um, but other than that, it was all mainstream film and TV. Kind of backtracking a little bit, when you were growing up, you know, watching film, were there any roles from movies that you saw growing up that, as you know, someone who was playing someone who was disabled, did that have any type of type of an impact on you? Um. The, most of the roles when I was growing up were like these sappy after-school type special things, which I didn't really like. Um, there was an exception that I really did like, uh, which was, I think it's Friday the 13th, number two. Um, I'm trying to remember if it was two or three. But um, as a kid, a teenager, they had, you know, this guy who was in a wheelchair who was just like everybody else, treated like everybody else. It wasn't the topic, obviously, of the film. He just happened to be one of the gang, and he gets killed like everybody else, you know, with an axe to the head. And I thought that was fantastic because what else you had seen in those days was the special episode where the person has a chip on their shoulder and, you know, has to be hot, hotter. I want to say that might have been Friday the 13th Part 2. Might be what you're talking about. I been, think so. It's been forever since I've seen those movies, but I, I, I want to say it was two. Um, something interesting that I thought was especially portrayed early in Cinemability was when you were talking about the stereotypes that were put on you know certain people for certain roles, almost like every female with a disability was portrayed as almost a naive, innocent-type figure. Elderly men were portrayed as, like, old, you know, sage-like characters. And then, you know, younger to middle-aged men were mostly villains, or even some right. of the older villains. You know, one one that I specifically can remember uh, from one of my favorite movies growing up was Speed, when, you know, Dennis Hopper, it was revealed that he was disabled. Mm-hmm. So it's... It's kind of interesting how the depiction has been, you know, very stereotyped to now do you feel it's slowly becoming more, I guess, normally cast as far as roles go? Well, you know, my original thesis of the film was that as society became more enlightened, these betrayals, these old stereotypes would go away. But unfortunately, they keep popping up. Um, there wasn't a couple of years ago that Me Before You was out, which was a very popular book, but so much so they made it into a movie. And basically the theme on that one is that if you become disabled, despite being rich, good looking and having a beautiful woman that loves you, uh, your life is over. You should just kill yourself. Um, it's, 
basically equates disability with uselessness and, and a need for death rather than continuing life. So that's pretty horrific that just a couple of years ago that still happened. Now, you have great examples also, but um, what, I, what I've noticed more than anything is that probably 95%, I'm going to have to do some real studies to get the actual number because this is just kind of a generality, but most films don't have anyone with a disability portrayed anywhere, even a background or under five at all. They're just not in existence. And what that means is you don't see yourself at all, then how do you place yourself in the world? How do you find employment if those employers don't think of you as a part of society? So, like, you know, even in the background, there may be a, a, a scene at a mall, and, you know, in real life, you'll see somebody, whether they're signing or maybe in a wheelchair or with a cane, you'll see somebody in your daily life. But when the movies take place, typically you don't see anyone. No, that's true. No, that's very true. Um, a question that I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, this was something that kind of stood out to me in the film, and I can't remember the two people who discussed this, but there was one person who said that those who are not disabled should not play disabled characters, whereas there is another person who is disabled, but they say they're fine with it. Uh, what's mm -hmm. your stance on it? Um, well, you hit on, uh, on, on the, the key of the film is that I, I try to like lay out the issues, and I think that's why people are so intrigued by the film, because they can talk about it afterwards and tell what their you know, position is on it. Um, personally, as a filmmaker, I didn't want to intrude on that. I wanted people to make up their own mind. But since you asked, uh, <laughs> um, I am a filmmaker first, and I believe that you have to tell a story as authentically as you can. However, sometimes, you know, to get the money, you need a name actor. And they won't fund it if the lead is that person character and you know you have to put a name in there i don't think anyone could have done better than than um jamie fox playing ray oh that was um, incredible and it, it was an incredible job and so i would have done the exactly same thing as as taylor now sometimes you can you know temper that by putting other people with disabilities in the film in other roles and, and i think the goal of actors friends of mine who have disabilities or um, actors, they, they just want to be able to audition for like, you know, the banker, the, the lawyer, the neighbor. It doesn't have to be about that uh, disability. It can just be part, you know, of the picture. One of the things I started was something called the gold test. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's um, kind of taking a page out of the, have you heard of the Betchel test? I have about, not. Uh, that's a test for women. And it's a, uh, are there two women in the in the movie or TV show that talk to each other about something other than a man? And and that test was started, and people started thinking about it, and many films don't pass that. So I thought, well, we should do one for disability also. So I started something called the Gold Test, and originally it was, is there a character in the film or TV show with a disability, and they're not defined by their disability? 
but then I realized well, a lot of times there is nobody in it at all. You know, it's not the, whether it's stereotypical or not, it's they're not even there. So I had to kind of lower the bar. <laughs> so now it is like a two-stage goal test. Is there anybody in the world of this movie that you could say has any sort of disability whatsoever? That's part one. And then part two is, you know, is there a character that's not defined by that disability? Because when it comes down to it, everyone, regardless of how you look, your race, your religion, you know, your sexual preference, everyone is the same. We're all human beings, and we have the same desires and loves and, you know, strengths and weaknesses. I agree with that outlook 100%. I actually had that discussion with uh, someone at work last week, and it, it kind of... I thought I thought put things into perspective because it's just like you know it's, we're all human beings when it comes down to it whether it's you know gender age race any of that stuff we're all human beings first before we're any of those other things. Yeah, so I just think that you know the media is so powerful. I think that's what got me really intrigued about this particular project when I started looking at these films and how they can shape people's understanding. You know. Um, employment opportunities for people. I'm not saying everyone with a disability is wanting to work or can work, but there are many that can that don't get those opportunities because employers have only seen in the movies people, you know, selling pencils on the street corner and not characters that are portrayed as the, the you know, store clerk or the doctor or the lawyer, you know. Um, so, the media has the power to shape perception. And um, often, in that these old stereotypes, like me before you, keep bouncing back, is really scary. And if someone needed to just kind of point it out. And, but, you know, obviously, we, we do a lot of screenings for filmmakers. That's why I'm on my way to a screen for a film school right now. Um, but we also want, you know, the general public, because audiences really control what Hollywood makes. Because if they reject certain, you know, old tropes, they won't keep making them because they won't make money because people won't buy it. But Me Before You, you know, was a very successful book. Nobody blinked an eye at what it was saying. Yeah. No, I, I've, I know very little about about that book, but I, I do know what you're talking about. What do you hope is the legacy of cinemability? You know, like what what do you hope the impact of it is, say, twenty years from now? Well, the immediate impact I hope is that people just enjoy it and they tell their friends and, and the word gets out there. Thanks really to people like you that are helping us, you know, spread the word because, you know, we aren't a big, you know, marketing machine. We're an independent film. Uh, with an important message, and we need uh, people like you to help spread the word. Um, so thank you for that. And in the long term, 20 years, um, I hope that it, it made an impact, that not only were people finding it enjoyable, but it changed the way films and characters characters were written and included in media. And then that then in turn will will affect generations because of what you see, you know. It, it affects your understanding of, of people who are different. 
Absolutely. Well, I'll say from from my thought on seeing it, and I, I do appreciate you know you guys sending me uh, a link over to watch it. It was a, a very very eye opening uh, film, and I I appreciate you know you making it, putting in the time and effort and the energy to do it. And I, I thought it it told a a I thought it told a great story and a very enlightening story. Well, thank you. Uh, we try, you know, I, I'm, I'm loving how people are enjoying it and, and learning from it. And now when you go off and do other films, you'll, you'll think about it and, and we'll have new stories that can be told and, and people can be influenced by, by just looking at things a little differently. So what's next for you as far as, uh, future projects go. Do you have anything in the works? I do. I'm in post right now on a little independent uh, horror comedy about killer cockroaches that attack a college campus. I it's, love it already. Uh, called Ah. <laughs> um, I told you I grew up in Florida. I know all about them. Uh, it's called Ah Roach, uh, and it stars Casper Van Dien and Grace Van Dien and and Barry Boswick and and Jason Mewes. Um, and a lot of other folks that uh, are a lot of fun, and uh, we're in post on that right now. Um, you know, after trying to enlighten the world, I needed something fun. Um, so that'll be coming out soon. And also in theaters this weekend, uh, I've been uh, a film I was a co-producer on, this one I didn't direct, uh, called Tiger, uh, which is awesome about a... Uh, Indian uh, boxer who uh, they want him to shave and it's against his religion. So he's again uh, someone who's fighting for their rights to be included. It's kind of like a theme Gold Pictures has been doing, but um, that's in theaters now. Awesome. Uh, last question: Do you have any website or social media that you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow or keep up with your projects? Uh, yes, Cinema Ability, they share the same name, so cinema and then ability.com. Uh, you can get links to iTunes, Google Play, Amazon. The film is everywhere. Again, it stars uh, everybody, pretty much. <laughs> ben Affleck, Jamie Foxx, William H. Macy, Gina Davis, Jane Seymour, etc. Um, and then Tiger in Theaters, and that uh, stars. Janelle Parrish and Mickey Rourke. Uh, so another boxing movie. If you haven't got enough with Creed, and as, you, as I said, I'm a big uh, Rocky fan. So another one that uh, has that same kind of uplifting feeling. Um, so cinemability.com, goldpictures.com is where you can reach us on uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's cinemability, and uh, yeah, we're we're everywhere right now. Fantastic. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. It was great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Jenny Gold for that really fun, really inspiring conversation. Be sure to visit cinemability.com as well as goldpictures.com. Next week is Pensacon week, and I do have a Pensacon guest slated for this show. Um, I will be doing the interview tomorrow if you're listening to this episode the day it comes out. But I'm not going to reveal who it is quite yet. You'll have to stay tuned to social media to find out who that is. You can find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. 
And speaking of Pensacon, I will be hosting a panel at the convention. I'm going to be hosting the Defending Bad Movies panel, which will be held on Sunday, February 24th at 1.30 p.m. at the Grand Hotel Room B. So if you're in the Pensacola area and you're going to Pensacon, be sure to check that out. I will be recording the audio to air as an episode of the show. So if you can't make it or you don't live in the area, you'll still get to hear it. But definitely come check it out if you can. Going to be a really fun time, a really fun atmosphere. I can't wait to I can't wait to take part in it. You know, Pensacon is something that I look forward to every single year, and this is going to be a really fun and hopefully really hilarious panel. And as always, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs Late Night Drive Through and Light and Jazzy can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Van, which is available on Apple Music, Spotify, and Google Play. But I think that's going to do it for this week's show. So enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks again to Jenny Gold for that really inspiring conversation. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys here next week with our special Pensacon guest. (laughs) 